We've been looking the last few nights on a series of messages I've called Feeling After God as we discuss the emotional responses to God that the Scripture describes for us. We begin with the fear of God. We begin with the fear of God because the fear of God is described as the beginning. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's also described as the conclusion of the whole matter. Here, therefore, the conclusion. That's the beginning, the conclusion. Fear God, keep His commandments. Uh, we progress there, of course, to the natural thing that we do if we fear God, if we understand that there is an all-powerful God and we're accountable to Him. The next thing for us to do is to humble ourselves before Him. And that's uh, exactly what the Bible described, and we spoke of that, uh, and how that it's primary in the attitude of the heart, even though it is defined as a matter of posture. The word humble means to bow oneself low or to get low. It's, in English, it's related to the word humus, which relates, relates to the earth. It means to get low, to get on the ground, uh, to bow down literally before, humble ourselves. But again, it's a matter of the heart more than it is of the posture. As we fear God, we humble ourselves before Him. And tonight we're going to talk about the love of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You see, God does not leave us only to fear Him and to bow before Him. Because He also tells us to love Him. Not casually, not lightly, but with all that we have, with the very essence of who we are. We love Him supremely. The first word in this passage in Hebrew was shema. It means hear, hear. And uh, like uh, our father in some traditions is uh, used in reference to the Lord's prayer, the word shema in Hebrew uh, became the title of this expression, the shema. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might or strength. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The apostle John gave us these same principles in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. The law of Moses rests on the principle of loving God and loving our neighbor, our fellow man. Jesus reiterated that. John's first epistle gives that to us again, over and over again. We love God, we keep His commandments. And His commandments are that we love Him and we love one another. When Moses reached the end of his life, short of the promised land, didn't make it in. He called the nation together for that second giving of the law that is recorded in the Scripture as the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. 
We see in our text that Moses gave them this law to love God with all their hearts, with all their hearts. But I, I want to give you tonight an idea of just how much uh, this came up in that sermon. That last message that Moses gave the people of God. Deuteronomy 7, 8. Because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Deuteronomy 11 and 1, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I'd say Moses is pretty serious about this one. I call heaven to earth and earth. To witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God. Obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them theirs. A lot more passages than these. In Moses' last sermon, he would finish this, have it written down. He'd write a song. He'd pray a prayer. Climbed up Mount Nebo, and from the top of Pisgah, he would see the promised land and die. And God himself would conduct the funeral and bury him. Over and over again in this last message, then Moses sounded that simple refrain. Love God and live. Love God and live. Love God and live. Now our consideration of this great theme is going to be in two messages. This is just the first part tonight. And we'll do as we have in so many of these others. We talk first about the meaning, but... Just talking about the meaning of this great truth is going to carry us through the scriptures. So I'll try to move you along pretty quickly. Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. I'll pull this one out tonight because this is the time where we have four different descriptions given by the Lord Jesus of what it means to love God with all of our being. It speaks of love itself. The New Testament speaks often of the love of affection. 
We know it best as the love of friendship, but uh, the love of affection, that fond feeling that we have for another person. They call that phileo. We're certainly to feel affectionately toward God and have feelings of affection toward Him. But that's not the word that Jesus used in this passage. He instead used the word agape or agape, which really doesn't talk about feelings at all. It's talking about decisions. It is to love God in an intelligent, will-based, decisional kind of love. That love that leads to devotion, to commitment, to sacrifice, to service, and obedience. Jesus would add this uh, fourth element, so that it's not just the heart, the soul, and mind, but also the strength. And so God is calling upon us, the one God, to give Him all of our love because He has given us all of His love. First John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. First John chapter 4 and verse 10, here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so tonight, in considering the meaning of what it means for us to love God, we're going to look at it within the framework that Jesus gave us of these four issues. And we'll begin, of course, with the heart. The heart. Proverbs 4.23 famously says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In the Bible, the heart is not the seat of the emotions. That's what we think of it as in our culture, but that was not Eastern culture. That was not the culture of the Scripture. Uh, The heart was not the center of the emotions. The belly was. The heart is the center of the will. That's where decisions are made, where choices are made. The heart. Keep your heart then with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As such, the heart, becomes a reflection of our true selves, the seat of our true identity. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I want us to see tonight that this is where the revelation of God through Scripture, is one of many places actually, runs headlong on a collision course with what we hear so much in our modern thinking and modern culture. The Bible says that our heart, our true selves, our fundamental identity, then is determined by our choices. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So that the Bible is telling us and giving us this crucial information about the heart is that we are, in fact, a product of our choices. How's that one? Our truest selves, then, we are what we have chosen to be. You see, the cultural cry these days absolutely contrasts to that. We say, well, we're, we're born this way. It's our genetics. It's our personality traits. We had that conversation last night. A, B, C, D. I've always said, hey, pick one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have all of them, you know, if you look at them. 
our temperament, our experiences, our environment, all of these things is what shapes us and determines who we are and makes us what we are. I was born this way. I was raised this way. Do you understand then on a fundamental level that that very concept removes people from any personal responsibility? I was born this way. Not my fault. Can't help it. Uh, my, My parents may be this way. Not my fault. I grew up in a hard situation. It's not me. Um, This is just what I am. No personal responsibility. But the Bible very emphatically declares that we are at our truest self a product of what we have chosen to be in our hearts. Many are the voices today that argue with this. That say, well, nobody would choose this. I understand. I wouldn't be this way if I could. You could help it. I, I'd, I'd change if I could. I, I understand. So why would the Bible place such emphasis then in so many passages about our choices? Athletes talk about muscle memory. Some of you may not have ever played athletics. Uh, but if you did, then you learned about muscle memory. I played basketball. I know it's hard to know the, this looking at me today, but I did. And, and, and we ended up every practice the same way. You had to make 10 free throws in a row. Doesn't sound like much. Those last two <laughs> would just crank it out. I mean, sometimes it just took forever. You know, the coach would get tired and let me go home just because he, he had to drive to Bradley. But that, that was our rule. What were they doing? They were trying to instill in us muscle memory so that under pressure we could step up to that line. Boom. And it's all in the muscles. Muscle memory. You train yourself to do something a certain way. Talk about a golfer who has a golf swing. What does he do? It's muscle memory. He learns how to swing the club in a certain way. If he gets something ingrained in him the wrong way, it's very difficult to ever get it out because it's just there. It's a habitual form of doing something. It's doing something the wrong way. And in a lack of time, even if you change it, in a lack of concentration, a moment of high pressure, that thing very irritatingly is just liable to pop up again. This is true in any athletic pursuit, muscle memory. What is more significant, though, folk, is life memory. We make choices. Choices become behaviors. That behavior then becomes an ingrained pattern of living that is very, very difficult to overcome. Keep your heart the place where decisions are made with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I bring this up to you tonight because the Bible tells us to love God with all our heart. Because when we love God with all thy heart, With all our heart, you know what that makes us? That makes us a God lover. We love God. This is in contrast to so many others who love so many other things. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, lovers of pleasure. 3 John 9, loves to have the preeminence. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money. When we understand then that we are lovers of God, that at our heart then we love God. And, but we're in a world where people are lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of preeminence, lovers of money, lovers of popularity. We understand then what 1 Corinthians verse eight and three, chapter 8 and verse 3 says, If any man love God, the same is known of him. No wonder Moses called the people of Israel to love God, for that's your life. He said, this is how you live. This, this is life. You want to talk about living? Man, that's really living. Really living is loving God. Keep your heart with all diligence. That's how we have a fountain inside of us of a blessed and purposeful life. And don't forget, this was not just something that God said would bless us. It said it would bless your offspring. Generation after generation after generation after generation can be blessed by people who love God and who pass that love for God on to others. That's the heart. Next is the soul. The soul has to do with the life force. And it is considered to be uh, associated with the emotions, the feelings it was Jesus who said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death in Mark 14 and 34. If we were to say then that the heart is volitional, that is, that it has to do with the will, the place where decisions are made and choices are made, the soul is more emotive, having to do with our feelings. It's significant then that the concept of the soul, loving God with all thy soul, follows the heart, the choices, the feelings. Follow the choice. So that the feelings of love, the affections of love that we want to have for our God, follow that choice that we make to be devoted to Him, to love Him supremely, to give Him all of our heart. It is from this soul, by the way, that true worship of God uh, comes from, springs from. God is looking for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is out of this spiritual side of us, this soul side of us, that these true feelings of worship are derived from. Then there's the heart, there's the soul, with all your soul, with all your mind. If the heart is volitional, is it's a place of choices and decisions that the soul is emotional. Uh, that is a place where feelings and the feelings follow the choice. Then the mind, of course, will be intellectual. This is a reasonable or rational side of us that thinks things through and that understands the purpose of something. <coughs> If there's only one God and that God is the creator of all things and is the source of all life and blessing, if that one God became a man and lived and died on the cross for our sins and He did, was buried, but as we talked about this morning, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, if that God then did all of that for me, 
then the most logical thing for us to do is to love him. How could we respond in any other way? But to love the one who loves us in that way. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 then says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and, height, depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a wonderful passage tonight and I preached on it before but I just want to remind you that Paul describes us as being rooted and grounded. That, grounded, that means planted deeply in the love of God. So that it is the love of God. We love Him because He first loves us. And it is the love of God that provides us with our sustenance, that provides us with our spiritual strength. It is the love of God that we're rooted and grounded in. And when that is happening then, we are comprehending something. And he describes it with those four dimensions. uh, Breadth, length, depth, and height. Length, width. Depth and height. Does that sound like, sound like a spatial kind of thing? Some of you engineers cannot. Is that, is that a spatial description? Uh, yeah, 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 I think it is. Breadth, length, and depth, and height. So we're rooted into this, and then we understand something. We begin to get an understanding of the spatial dimensions of the love of God. We might grow a lot into it, but let me tell you something tonight, we'll never outgrow it. We can grow deeper in it, but we're never going to outgrow it. You know, uh, I I don't have a green thumb, and plants usually don't survive very long in our house. We mean well. We water them. I water them. Nancy waters them. I I don't know. In spite of everything, some of you folks can make them flourish. I can't. Uh, just, uh, just die. Some of you folks that can make plants flourish, I, I'm sure from time to time I've heard of this, that you have to repot a plant. Is, is that true? It, you know, it gets root bound, they say. It gets to where there's no more room in there and it has to be put in another pot. <laughs> Let me tell you something tonight, folk. With the love of God, we never outgrow our pot. We're never going to have to be uprooted and put in something else. We'll never outgo because he tells us. As you may understand, you see, the more we understand about the spatial dimensions of the love of God, the more we realize it's incomprehensible. We'll never outgrow it. We are rooted deeply in it. It is the source of our life and sustenance and strength. The more that we understand God's love, the more we understand his fullness. There's a great Bible scholar once who said the more that he learns about the love of God and the more he learns about the evil of humanity, the more amazed he is that God ever fooled with us. That may not be good English, but it makes a very good point. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. You never understand the fullness of God without understanding His love. His incredible love for us. But as we do then, our comprehension is also growing. That is the intellectual side 
of love. It makes sense. It's rational. And so we have the love in our heart, and that's volitional. We have the love in our soul, that's emotional. We have the love in our mind, that's intellectual. Lastly, we have the love of our strength, that's physical. That's physical. This means simply that our love for God is active, and it causes action in us. Paul would describe it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no long, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy, Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And so Paul was talking about how that the love of Christ, the love of God compels him. How that his actions, his ministry, his service, his preaching and teaching, his planting of churches, his traveling around, sharing the gospel, all of it was motivated by his love for God. Any other motive is a false motive. Let's just talk for a moment then about the things that in the Bible way of looking at things, things that made a person strong. You know, Jesus talked about a strong man. If you're going to enter into the house of a strong man, he said, and bind his goods, uh, you've got to bind the strong man. Remember that story? What made a man mighty in Scripture? What, what made a person strong? What's the source of strength? Well, one thing they looked at, of course, was their physical stature. Their physical presence, who they were. Saul was a mighty man, tall and strong. and David was rather diminutive, but David was a lot stronger than his. So it's not always, the battle's not always to the strong, the Bible says. But there is part of that. Some people were mighty, though they weren't very large. Some people were large, but they weren't very strong. But there was that side of things, that physical strength. Also, there was a side of their financial strength that's brought into play all of their business dealings and who they were and the, the people who were able then to have land and cattle who had, had positions then of, of, uh, had of power. They were in a position of strength. They were mighty men because they were mightily blessed and they had great wealth, great possessions. Their person their possessions. What we'll call then their practical or political influence. They're, they're, they were mighty because they held positions of political power. Uh, the king obviously was a mighty man. Now, we ask ourselves then, okay, well, what part of our strength then applies to our love for God? I, I, I think the Bible would lump them all into one. Can we bring the love of God into our business world? Can, we, can the love of God be seen then? Can we show the love of God in the way that we handle money, the way that we deal with people? Do we show that we're a God lover, a lover of God in my workplace, in my work, in my profession? Do I show it in my physical dealings. Uh, a lot of people want to be a bully. 
Hmm. But that, that's not showing the love of Christ. And there are ways then that even in our physical carrying, the way we carry ourselves, the way we operate as a human being, do we show the love of God? In our political dealings, our dealings with other people, in our positions of power and influence, do we demonstrate the love of God? See, this is the active side of love, where love is put on display so that it's not just something that we talk about, but it's something that we do with all of our strength. So that we're called upon then to love God with all of our being. And that supremely, because it's in our heart, we would be known as a lover of God. We'll close out tonight and we'll, as I said, we'll pick up this uh, refrain later uh, when I'm back with you and uh, we'll pick up this on Sunday night. It's a great time for ourselves, all of us, me first, to ask ourselves, how are we doing on loving God? Let me answer that question for you. (laughs) There's room for improvement. I don't mean that in an ugly way, but in a factual way. No matter how much we love Him, there's always room to love Him more. Let's stand together, please.